verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Vicky. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the staff team here, and it is great to be with you. I hope you'll forgive me for um, you know, preaching in my insulated jacket. It's a little bit chilly um, in here, and there's no judgment from me if you want to put your jackets back on. Although I was reminded this week that um, the classrooms at Sandhurst are intentionally kept a little cooler than you might like to give the officer cadets every chance of staying awake and alert. So um, there is a sweet spot, isn't there, between um, being sort of cold and alert, um, but being too cold or asleep. Well, would you pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Time to hear from your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged by you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever followed a hunch? Are you the kind of person that, uh, that goes with your gut and follows, follows those ideas um, to the end? Or do you dismiss kind of hunches and sort of move on? Well, our sermon this morning is about a group of people who had something of a hunch and pursued it relentlessly. We find ourselves at the start of Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 1 featured a genealogy, uh, Mary's pregnancy and uh, an appearance of an angel to Joseph. And then Jesus' birth is almost completely skipped over. There are no inns that don't have room. There are no stables, no shepherds. Matthew skips over this episode entirely and instead focuses on the arrival of the Magi. 
And that's surprising in a way because Matthew's gospel is a very Jewish gospel. There's lots of Old Testament prophecies that he quotes and sort of shows how it's fulfilled in Jesus. And yet, here we are right at the start. Matthew seeming to make the point that the gospel, the good news that Jesus is not just for the Jews, but for all people, all nations. The scene is set in the first couple of verses. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem, the town of David. Herod the Great is on the throne. He was in power from 37 to 4 BC. So that sort of dates this episode. Magi from the east, probably Persia or southern Arabia, have come searching for this newborn king of the Jews. They've discerned his star in the east and have come to worship him. And quite sensibly, looking for the king of the Jews, they've come to the the capital city, Jerusalem, to continue that search. Note, there are no mention of these magi being kings, or indeed there being three of them, although there are three gifts, which we'll come to a bit later. So the scene is set. What reception will the magi receive? What will they be told? Will Jerusalem sort of throw the doors open and say, He's here, come and worship him with us. Or will they say, where is he? We don't know, but let us come and worship him with you. Well, we're going to explore three reactions that this child king receives in our story this morning. And we're going to ask this Advent, which camp we fall into. If the star were to bring the Magi knocking on our doors, how would we feel? What would we say? Would we align ourselves with Herod? This competing king must be snuffed out at all costs. Would we find ourselves with the know-it-alls indifferently answering, oh yes, the Messiah's over there, but doing nothing about it? Or would we find ourselves with the Magi joining in their earnest pursuit? So the first reaction then, that of King Herod. All threats to our power must be eliminated. Would we align ourselves with him? The first reaction we're told about is that King Herod was disturbed. Fair enough, you might think. Fair enough for the one who's on the throne to feel threatened by news of the birth of the King of the Jews. After all, that's his aspirational title, ruling over Jerusalem and Judea. It's something of a surprise to read that all Jerusalem were concerned with him. We might expect celebration. But the wider disturbance caused by news of this royal birth is perhaps due to the violence they've experienced when the occupying Roman forces have heard of previous rebels. There have been crucifixions, beheadings, tramplings. Tensions probably date back as far as the Maccabean revolt of the previous century. So there's a history of uprisings and violent reprisals. So for Jerusalem, news of another candidate for a Messiah is not necessarily good news. But let's go back to Herod. Herod hears of this king, this much-awaited, highly-anticipated Messiah, the king of the Jews, and he's concerned. 
but we see he's not just concerned, he's cunning and crafty. He convenes an emergency Cobra meeting, gathers the intel needed to furnish the Magi with a morsel, sending them off to Bethlehem, in return asking that they return to him and let them know where to find this child so that he too might go and worship him. We have those words which prove to be devious and deceitful in the next episode when he realises that he's been tricked. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Have you ever felt like your position was under threat? Maybe that feeling that you're no longer the only one when a turn of events reveals that you're no longer as valued as you might have thought that you were. That feeling when, as a young child, age two or three, a younger sibling arrives on the scene and all of a sudden you don't have quite so much parental attention as you did the day before. Or more, perhaps more recently, the day when a new member joins your team and all of a sudden you're not just the whatever you are, you're just one of a number, you're a junior research analyst, whatever. You go from being the one to one of many. Or when it turns out that a friend that you held closely doesn't hold you as closely as you thought they did. You thought you you were special, one of the inner circle, and it comes to light, you're barely one of the 12, if that, never mind one of the three or the beloved friend. We've all been there. Life is made up of such evolutions of circumstance, family life, work life, social life, the shifting of tectonic plates on which we build our lives. How we respond to competition, how we respond to what might seem like bad news comes to a head in the situation in which Herod finds himself. As dramatic as his situation is, it's one in which we all ultimately find ourselves. Herod, the appointed king, with Roman backing, establishing himself, rebuilding the temple, bringing prosperity to to Jerusalem and snuffing out anything or anyone that might threaten his long and successful reign. One moment all is well, the next news reaches him of some magi who've come to pay homage to the one born king of the Jews. How dare they? Don't they know that he is king of the Jews? Hasn't news of his brilliance and the peace he's brought reached them in their far off land? Why didn't they come straight to the palace to prostrate themselves before him to lay their gifts at his feet? We can all be a little bit like that at times, can't we? When news reaches us of the birth of the rightful king, of this Christ, this Messiah, Who does he think he is to encroach on my patch? Doesn't he know that I'm the king around here? That I'm the king of this life? Ain't nobody going to compete with me. If the Magi from out of town were to knock on our door this Christmas, would our response be the same as Herod's? Fear, suspicion, insecurity. Are we a control freak like Herod? Or are we more like the know-it-alls of the Christmas story? The second reaction we might display when asked about the Messiah is that of the know-it-all. These are the chief priests and the teachers of the law 
in our story this morning? Do we find ourselves with them? Herod calls his religious advisors to him and asks them plainly, where is the Christ, the Messiah, to be born? It seems extraordinary to us, our modern ears, as the story goes, that there's no deliberation, there's no discussion, no request for time to go away and search the scriptures. The answer to this vital question comes back without hesitation in Bethlehem, in Judea. They quote Micah's words from seven centuries before, a prophecy familiar to many of us. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Their job is done. Their necks are safe for now. Herod the Great convened the gathering, asked a mercifully straightforward question, and they're on their way again. Do you wonder if any of them asked themselves or Herod or each other why he'd asked that question? Why he wanted to know where the Christ was to be born? Had they heard of the mysterious Magi in town looking for the King of the Jews? Presumably they had, we're told, that all Jerusalem was disturbed with Herod. And we don't know that none of them were personally interested in these goings-on. But Matthew doesn't tell us that any tagged along with the Magi. So there they are, the know-it-alls, they know where the Messiah is to be born. But they seem to have no personal interest in going to Bethlehem themselves. All the gear, no idea. Can you think of anyone like that? Someone who has all the knowledge, all the kit, but never actually gets to it or uses it. Someone who knows everything there is to know, but is content with the status quo, would rather not rock the boat. They have knowledge that could change the world, or at least their world, but they'd rather not venture too far from their comfort zone. The, the, the safety of the institutions that protect them and affirm and value them. These characters, the, the nerdles, they're not bad people here. They're not bent on evil, as we see Herod is later on. But they're not particularly good either. They're not brave enough to be heroes. They're just content to end up one of the many. History's full of such people, people with answers, right answers, but without action. The stories that we love are ones of those who embrace adventure. There would be no Lord of the Rings if Frodo had been content to bury his head in the sand and stay in the Shire. If the Magi happen to knock at our door this week, asking us to help them find and worship Jesus, would we be content just to give them the information they're looking for and leave them to it? Anything to close the door on the strangers and go back to our quiet life. Is there a risk that rather than coming to Christ and worshipping him ourselves, we've put off the costly aspects of worshipping him, bowing before him, giving our gifts to him in the pursuit of theological study or intellectual activity. Perhaps we did once find the Christ and worship him, but over the, <coughs> but over the years our hearts have grown cold, our diaries have filled up. And all that remains of that first love is the memory of the information. We still know where he is. We still know, in theory, 
where to find him if we wanted to. We know we could pray. We could open the Bible. We could spend time in worship. We're just busy right now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next year. Don't be like the know-it-alls. Don't let your knowledge or desire for knowledge get in the way of encountering, of worshipping Christ for yourselves. He holds all things together. Worldly knowledge pales in comparison to knowing him. Don't let knowing about him fool you into thinking you know him. Pursue him, find him, worship him today, this week. On hearing this morning of the one born king of the Jews, we might be with the control freak, Herod, the know-it-all chief priests and teachers of the law, or we might be with the Magi. The third reaction we see in our story is that of the earnest seeker. When we stop to think about it, rather than just rushing through, the story of the Magi is incredible. Probably astrologers, from the night sky alone, they've discerned that not just some event has taken place, but specifically the birth of the king of the Jews. The jury's out as to whether the star in question was a comet, or the coming together of Saturn and Jupiter, or something supernatural. In a sense, it doesn't particularly matter, because whatever it was, it did the job required. The Magi were watching and waiting. They noticed and they were ready to respond. Ready to make the journey, however long, to find the one the star led them to, the King of the Jews. And thinking about it for a moment, the Magi clearly aren't Jews themselves. They might be familiar with the, the Jewish scriptures, but it seems their, their language is primarily one of stars and watching kind of the heavens. But clearly God wanted them to meet his son, Jesus. They wanted him, he wanted them to meet this child, to bow before him. So what did he do? He went out of his way to call them, to invite them. He spoke their language and provided a sign for them to follow, a star to light the way. Isn't that extraordinary? Doesn't that give us great hope, great encouragement that we're all called, we're all invited, that God goes out of his way to reach each of us? I love Matthew's comment in verse 10, that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. This is the end of their journey. They've been following the star for days, perhaps weeks, the star stops at last and they're overjoyed. They rejoice at the Lord's kindness that he has led them and they rejoice in the complete assurance, it seems, that they're about to find the one they've been searching for. Their anticipation overflows into joy. It's like they've turned into Jesus' street and they know that one of these houses is the one. Sure enough, they find the child they've been looking for with his mother Mary. Notice time has passed since Jesus' birth. He's no longer a baby in a manger, but a child in a house. And finding him, these grown men, these experts in their field, bow down before him and worship. 
they acknowledge the authority of this king and the awe and reverence of his being God. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Prophetic gifts that point to who the child is and what he's going to do. Gold for a king, incense for a priest and myrrh for the sacrifice he would one day make, giving himself for each of us. And we breathe a sigh of relief as the Magi avoid the tricksy Herod on their journey home. We're all made to worship, one way or another. That worship will express itself in our lives, whether it's the God of health or material prosperity, promotion at work or a football team. A quick look online suggested that somewhere between one and three million people followed their stars to Qatar over the last month. And for one team this afternoon, their dreams will come true. But for many, it's agonizing heartbreak. Which stars are we following? If we're not sure, then our bank accounts and our diaries are probably enough to tell us what we worship first and foremost. The Magi put life on hold to make this journey of a lifetime and they weren't disappointed. They were led to the one they were looking for and had the privilege of being among the first to worship him. 2,000 years on, they still provide a brilliant example of earnest seekers and sacrificial worshippers. And the fact they were invited, called, led to Jesus, invites, uh, encourages us all. We're all invited. Today is the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. This week, the final week in the run-up to December the 25th. Let's reflect this week on who we most align with in our passage this morning. Are we control freaks with Herod? Easy to fall into when it feels like everything has to be just right on Christmas Day. Are we indifferent know-it-alls with the religious experts of Jesus' day? With all the right answers, but without the time or inclination to act on it. Or are we with the Magi, making the journey, following the star, to find the child born King of the Jews? And on finding him, bowing down before him and opening our gifts, our treasures for him. I know who I want to be with this Christmas. But there are times when I fall into the Herod or the, the know-it-all category. Let's carve out time this week amidst the rush of work and family friends and preparations to earnestly seek the Christ child to bow down before him to lay our all at his feet once again or for the first time finding and worshipping the one born king of the Jews that is the way to a Christmas filled with wonder let me pray